Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development, which includes learning and development. And today we are talking about building L&D teams. So many of you have told me over the last couple of years, and especially as conversations have come up inside the Talent Development Think Tank community, that you are starting from scratch, that you're building a new team, or that there's transformation going on, that teams are being combined from different departments and you're starting a new centralized team. Many of you may not be in this circumstance, but I know a lot of you are involved in new teams or teams being built in the L&D space or L&D transforming in some way. And I wanted to give you an episode, an interview, a conversation that would give you some ideas for that. And my guest today is a veteran of building those L&D teams. Her name is Stephanie Bertmer, and she is the head of learning and development at Pinterest, where she leads all learning and development activities. Stephanie has also had over 15 years of experience in the HR and learning and development field, working for multiple tech companies before arriving at Pinterest. And she has a lot of experience building new L&D teams, revamping learning and development in different capacities and different places. And we're going to dig into that experience and some of those stories today, specifically talking about building new L&D teams, as well as building leadership development programs, being more proactive and more strategic in L&D, and setting up mentorship programs, which is a really popular topic that's been coming up a lot lately, as well as getting more strategic, building leadership programs, as I mentioned. And we're going to go into a little bit on the women's program for underrepresented talent that Stephanie and her team have built as well. So if you are involved in building building new teams, you're looking to get more strategic in the business, or you're building out any new leadership programs or want some ideas to build out a program for women or underrepresented talent, make sure you listen to this episode. I also want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, where we bring talent development professionals together on a regular basis to connect and share and learn from each other. We have a weekly call every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern, where we bring in guest speakers, we cover different topics. We also have just recently debuted a new platform to help us connect with each other, build one-on-one connections and one-on-one relationships for people to support each other. I'm really excited about this. And we're introducing some new pricing to make it more affordable to people to join the community as well. You can find all the information on our website at tdtt.us slash community. That's tdtt.us slash community. I hope to see you inside. All right. I'm joined now by Steph Bertmer, who is head of learning and development at Pinterest, one of the most popular and prolific social platforms in the world. Steph, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Andy. I'm happy to be here. I am so happy to have you on here as well. We've talked a little bit before, and I know you've done a lot of interesting things, including you know starting a sort of a new L&D function and team and building that up since you've been there. And I'm excited to dig into that as well as share some of the things you've done in the areas of leadership and, and career development. But I'd love to start with a little bit of your background. You know, how did you get into learning and development in the first place? Yeah, sounds good. So it's been over 15 years now. I actually started my career in learning and development for airlines. So I was at a an airline called Virgin America from sort of startup to acquisition when they were acquired by Alaska Airlines. But I really got my foot in the door doing frontline training and development. So training and development 
and education for flight attendants, crew resource management, which is essentially like team building and psychological safety on airplanes, dipping my toe into leadership development there. But, you know, did a lot of that frontline training and then got really interested in the effectiveness of learning and development and sort of the connect all the other connective tissues like organizational development and effectiveness. So that was really my entry point into learning. After almost spending, gosh, nine, 10 years there, I got into the tech world to moved on to Hulu and Snapchat and have kind of been immersed in like the very fast moving dynamic um, tech world now. Very cool. That's really interesting doing that work at Virgin America. And I have been, you know, working in consulting and regular flyer for more than a decade. You know, I've flown a lot. And I've also listened to podcasts and learned about a lot about what goes into the airline industry. And I think a lot of people get up in the sky and just, they don't think too much about flight attendants and like, oh, they're just there to serve me drinks or something. But people don't realize these flight attendants are like basically trained nurses, police officers, like they have to do so much to kind of keep things running smoothly as well as be able to respond if there's any medical emergencies, if there's any dangerous situations, unruly passengers. Like I bet there's a lot of training that goes into that. Absolutely. It was, you know, you know, six to eight weeks, depending on sort of the airline, but a lot of it was focused on emergencies, like you mentioned, medical practices. There was obviously the guest service part, but that mm-hmm. was the large majority was about keeping people safe. Yeah, it's uh, it's really amazing. And there's a great podcast series uh, I listened to. They did on Freakonomics recently about why airline travel is like the safest form of travel in the world. And and part of the reason is that is because flight attendants are up there keeping people safe, in addition to pilots going through a ton of training on a regular basis to make sure that you know nothing bad ever happens. Moving from that into the tech world, you're in a place where people require still require a lot of learning and development because things are changing fast, but you also have from my perspective, in some of these high-tech places, more of a transient workforce, people are kind of coming in and out. How do you think about that from a learning development perspective when you're like, I don't know if I'm, how many of these people are going to be here for more than two years, but we've got to make sure they have development or we fall behind? Yeah, that was the biggest shock to the system when I transferred from, you know, learning development in airlines to the tech world. I think the biggest difference too is like, there's a lot of people in the same roles when you think about learning and development. So pilot, like you had mentioned, pilots set out their career. They know they're going to be pilots. It's yeah. not like they're going to... Pilots don't change be, careers very often. Yeah, like, pilots dream. don't change careers that much, right? But I'd, I'd say with flight attendants too. So you're doing a lot of like regulatory required, like you've got this captive audience. And it was a, such a big shift when I went into tech where it was really more about understanding what some of the gaps are. It was much more of moving from like pushing content, pushing training to really creating learning and development that's engaging, that it gets to the needs. So I think one of the biggest differences, like I'm regularly trying to understand what's going in the workforce, what are they need, what are their needs, what are they looking for? So I'm doing reg- more regular pulses to try to make sure that whatever I'm developing in my team really does sort of meet the mark. And doing a lot more in like the interpersonal, like professional develop skill development, communication, where that wasn't really the case in the airline industry. Mm. I would imagine, especially in tech where it's, things are moving quicker, you get more requests from different places for different types of training. How do you think about responding to those and also not being you know, an order taker and being more consultative or strategic in how you approach learning and development? 
Absolutely. That is the tension, like the ongoing tension that I feel like I have to hold as an L&D leader, right? There's typically priorities at the company level, right? Like how can people and people development enable the broader company priorities? So it's kind of that like top down and then that bottoms up, like what are people asking for? And I feel like I'm really trying to balance that um, right now in my day to day. There's a lot of desire for mentorship programs within mm. the in the company, right? So to me, um, oh, that's a signal that people are craving. They're craving development. They want to grow in their role and they have to be really skilled in certain areas like change because our industry is changing so frequently. So I kind of think about the big rocks as like the big priorities that align to the broader organization. And then also making sure that, you know, we are focused on things that matter to the workforce like mentorship. So for me, when I build my roadmap sort of for the year, it's really about holding that tension and balancing both, you know, the push and the pull. I have been, Steph, hearing more and more about mentorship programs and companies building mentorship programs, people asking for mentors and mentorship programs. Do you think that this has changed over time, that the desire wasn't necessarily there as much 10 years ago? Or do you think it's just sort of moving more to the forefront and and people are just asking for it or being more vocal now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think folks are being more vocal now. And I what I've personally noticed in my own career, like this shift where, I don't know, I'll just speak for myself. When I was younger in my career, I always thought like, hey, my manager is there to like grow and develop me. And that's what they're there. And the shift in my own mind, I was like, oh, I am the owner of my development. Mm -hmm. And it's up to me to go out there and find the mentors and the sponsors and the learning and the experiences that are going to help me grow. So I don't know, personally, I felt a shift. I'm not sure if it's, you know, broader than that, but I have noticed a lot of folks asking for mentorship and to be, you know, invested in looking on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Funny enough, you know, we were just chatting right before this, I led a webinar for an organization on five steps to owning your career, my kind of standard keynote. And there were about five, 600 people on. And I asked people, what do you need help with? Put it in the chat so other people maybe can help you. And I saw a ton of people say, I'm looking for a mentor. I want a mentor. Now, of course, it's hard to just like match somebody up if you're just like, okay, what do you, what do you want mentoring in, right? Like I have no idea who a mentor should be for you, but I see some of the best organizations are starting to figure out how do you match potential mentors with mentees, people that are looking for mentorship. And to the extent that you can find someone who has experience in the area where you want to grow, that's where you've got a more successful mentorship relationship, right? Yeah, for sure. I think in a past life, I have built mentorship programs that are very manual where that matching is coming. You know, I'm manually doing the the matching. We think about creating scalable practices for mentorship. My team is now looking at like, what are some of the tools that can help us automate this and really help pair people effectively to find a mentor that will be most helpful? Yeah. Um, You have some great experience with building L&D teams. I know there's a lot of people out there in our community who are involved in standing up or building new teams or transforming teams in L&D. What's been your general approach to building a a new L&D team? This is my favorite phase. I always call myself a builder. Like I'm not Mm. the sustainer. So I, I love coming into a place and helping sort of set up teams for the long term. I think first and foremost is understanding the environment that I that I'm in. Am I in a, like a regulatory industry? Am I in you know something like tech where it's like you mentioned very transient, fast moving? You know, folks maybe don't have a super super long tenure. 
So really understanding the organization that I'm in, also understanding the structures and how the folks that I partner with regularly, it could be HR business partners, it could be folks in HR, understanding what their setup is is like, right? Is it an HR business partner model where HR business partners are aligned to different sort of teams and function? Would it make sense to set up my team that way? Or is it really, you know, truly a center of excellence and we're providing support and resources? So understanding sort of the environment that I'm in, also how the team is structured, um, and then looking at like, what are, <laughs> what do we currently have <clears throat> in terms of any offerings out there? What needs to change? And thinking about, what model are we going to have? Are we going to be a heavy build L&D function where we're building a lot of custom content? We're facilitating it. Is it going to be by where we're partnering with different companies, you know, L&D companies to bring in sort of company agnostic learning and development? Or is it going to be a blend where we build some of the core ourselves that are really unique to the company and the culture and the needs um, and then augmenting with some sort of off the shelf. So really thinking about those three key areas, like what's the environment that I'm in, the structure, and then what type of function are we are we going to be are some of the first things I think about and sort of setting the team up for the long term. <clears throat> when I think about starting a new L&D team or coming in as the new head of L&D, maybe in, a, in an organization, especially maybe a, a smaller startup type organization that hasn't had a long history of learning and development. One of the things I think about also is how do you get leadership or executive sponsors on board with funding certain things, right? Whether you want to build something internally or bringing in external providers and helping them achieve their goals, right? How do you think about doing that? Yeah. I love the idea of a quick win because sometimes we are fighting. I've certainly been in companies where I've been, you know, L and D team party of one or two, mm. not a whole lot of budget and sort of leadership or the company at large doesn't quite understand the value or hasn't previously, you know, invested in learning and development. So for me, I usually start with man like something around manager and leadership development because personally, Seth believes like that's where you can get the biggest bang for your buck mm. in, term, in terms of organizational change that you're trying to drive. So I think starting with usually what are some of the biggest leadership and manager gaps and building a program that can give you uh, a quick win and credibility and sort of establish, you know, the value that you bring to a company. So that's usually how I think about, uh, when I think about setting priorities, there's yeah. some flavor of manager and leadership development because that usually comes out in what some of the needs are. Okay. And when you think about setting priorities and you're thinking about maybe building programs, making an impact, and again, going back to my question about being, you know, more strategic and not being proactive and not necessarily an order taker, how do you make sure that what you're doing is going to be an impactful or that it's going to align, say, with the the strategy or the the KPIs that you know the leadership team is looking at? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's having a deep understanding of not just people team priorities. And I say people team priorities because the L and D teams that I've typically been at have reported into. Um, the people team. So for me, it's understanding like what are the people team priorities? How can learning and development drive impact there? And then also how is that 
connected to the broader company sort of goals. I think for me, I like to <laughs> not necessarily bite off more than I can chew. So it's more about when I build program, it's, it's constantly checking in with sort of the leaders of both the people team and the broader organization. Like, hey, is this you know really going to address some of the gaps that you're seeing? Do you think this is in line? So it's constantly, I'd say more of like an agile approach to developing, learning and training and um overall talent development programs. So I think for me, starting small, making sure it's aligned with the goals and then constantly getting feedback on the programs to understand if we need to adjust in any way. Yeah, excellent. You mentioned leadership development being a great place to start and get really good bang for your buck and make an impact. Can you tell me more about your experience in building leadership development programs when you're looking to do that? Is there something you do to figure out, hey, what's the biggest need? Do you typically try to build that in-house or do you have like outside providers that you go to? How do you think about approaching leadership development? Yeah, I know this is maybe going to be a little, maybe it's not controversial, but <laughs> folks probably like this. Um, I love to be, build leadership development programs in-house or at least make sure they're tailored to the company that I'm at and the needs, right? When I think about leadership onboarding programs, to me, it's really there's a few things that are important. One is that it meets the needs of the leader. So broader, like what is the company try, uh, driving towards and what are some of the skills needed? And then what are the current gaps? So making sure that I've got a good understanding there. Two, what I hear from leaders over and over again, they are craving connection to one another and learning from another. So it looks like actually creating you know, cohort models or making sure that folks actually get connection out of it as well. And then third is just a better understanding of the culture and the business. So for me, when I think about leadership development and building it myself or my, my team building it, it's usually a mix of those three things. Do you want me to give you an example of a program? Yeah, that would, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. So in a past life, there was a, a company that I worked for that was uh that uh, had a very sort of public acquisition. We built a, a senior leadership de a development program there. And one of the things that I started looking at is um, at the same time, we're building our leadership competencies and did a whole lot of interviews there, understanding from senior leaders, like what are the skills that are going to take the company to the future? What are some of our gaps? So did a lot of digging from, from those interviews. Also looked at things like our employee voice survey to understand what some of the gaps of leadership are. Also look at more um, quantitative data, just like how long folks were in role, where are they located? What is their span of control? What are the size teams? So really understanding the context in which leaders were working on. Those are all things that I took into account uh, when building uh, the senior leadership development program. Hmm. And then from there, you know, Took all, took all the data, understood the needs, but then like went into this very creative space. Like we're in a virtual environment. How can we create a program that replicates the in-person experience? Like it'll never be a one-to-one, -one, mm. but what are some creative things that, you know, we can create? And one of the things we did was create a, a virtual world on like a, a Miro or a mural board where mm. it was just a really fun way for people to collaborate and interact instead of just like a one-to-one, -one, like, you know, we're having a conversation here or you're going in breakout groups. So just thinking really creatively about how to, um, you know, create experiences that are, are as impactful as in person. Yeah. When I, I've run a lot of leadership development programs in the past. And when I think about it, one of the biggest challenges I've always seen is people get into management and they think, oh, I have to have all the answers and 
it's, you know, it's about me, not that they're trying to be selfish, but it really like, how do I make sure that this job, this thing is successful and they're not spending enough time focused on how do I develop my people, delegate to them, challenge them, help them grow and really enable and empower them to succeed. And, and knowing that that will allow me to be more successful in the long run. I don't really think about that as much. For sure. I think about that book multipliers. I think Mm -hmm. it's such a good book and how you know, when you become a leader, really shifting from that individual contributor and having like, you know, single impact, like how can you grow the impact of your team through exactly what you said, delegation, coaching, providing some guidance. Yeah, definitely yeah, see that. Mul- Multipliers by Liz Weissman, a classic, great book for leaders. I used to run workshops based on that book. And of course, Liz Weissman has been on this podcast a couple of times. Just amazing, amazing content and 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 good and good stuff there. Shifting from leadership development, or maybe in the same realm, you have also developed some talent development programs specifically for women and talent from underrepresented groups. And I wonder if you could talk more about that because I think it's something that a lot of people think about, maybe aspire to do, maybe they haven't necessarily done it yet or gotten the funding. Like how do you how did you approach creating those programs? What did those look like? Yeah, sounds good. So in a past life, we had a few programs. One was uh, women in leadership in you know, a variety of levels across the company. It was one sort of entry-level management and then more senior, se- senior women's programs. And then we also created a program for underrepresented talent, underrepresented talent more at the, at the mid-level. There were three different programs and mm. gosh, they're, they're really important programs to me, but I don't think they're enough on their own. Like I don't, <laughs> this just like goes against the L and D person in me, but yeah. I don't think the programs on their own are enough. Mm. Meaning, I think the systems, things like talent management, performance reviews, how we think about sponsorship, manager ad- advocacy, those are so important for programs to be successful. Standing alone on their own, like they're great, they feel good, folks. I'm sure develop skills and abilities from them, but I think to actually have the input impact, they have to be connected to a broader system. And again, that connection to talent management, things like promotion, you know, mitigating bias and things like uh, calibration conversations, all of those, I think, elements come into play when you're thinking about a fair, fair and equitable sort of system and really help meet your goals to, you know, advance women in in leadership and and underrepresented talent. Right. So what I'm hearing is there, there are many opportunities to help individual individuals develop skills. And yet there are also systemic things that need to be changed or improved. If we're going to overall improve the situation and create more opportunities for women and people from underrepresented groups. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as L and D folks, there's a great opportunity to partner. If you have folks who, you know, spend time in talent management or there's someone in HR who's responsible for things like performance and promotions, like that is a tight partnership that I always try to make sure that I spend time developing mm-hmm. uh, to create sort of equitable outcomes when we think about broader goals around women in leadership and underrepresented talent. Yeah, that's excellent. I would imagine if you have someone who's overseeing DEI to get them involved as well and be an advocate for like, hey, we need to update these processes because it seems like this over here is not fair or there's people that are falling through the cracks or missing or not getting opportunities that other people are getting. You know, can we make changes here? Yeah, absolutely. And I think DEI partners are great to flagging some of the needs. So oftentimes, like they're working really closely with folks in the business 
and can help sort of inform broader L&D initiatives based on some of the things that they're hearing and the folks that they support. Let's talk about career development. I know you and I talked a little bit about this last time we chatted and you had done some work here and had a, a perspective on it. I think we're both seeing a greater desire, not only for career development in general, but for more opportunities for talent mobility. A lot of organizations that are looking to, for ways to create more talent mobility. How have you thought about career development? And I think you've also worked on redesigning things like performance management and ways to create more talent mobility in the organizations you're in. Yeah. My team and I worked on a project a couple of years ago to rethink sort of career development and, and development overall at, a, at an organization that I was at. And during that time, like whenever I build something new, love to do a ton of research and reading and see what see what's out there. And a part of this project really helped me think differently about career development overall. I used to think about career development as sort of this upward trajectory. It was very sort of linear, like a straight path. And when we built this program, we called it Developing At, and it was really about understanding the types of development that you're looking for and the sort of moment that you're in in your career. Are you looking for something that is a promotion and sort of skill development? Are you looking for something in your role where you you want to get better at your craft, like you love your job, you just really want to get better at the at your craft? Are you looking to explore to understand what's out there? Maybe you're not quite sure where you want to go in your career. Maybe it's about, you know, doing some exploratory work. And then sort of the, the last area was about folks who maybe are just a little burnt out. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. that, and that was me a couple of years ago. You know, I still very much cared about my career, but I was looking to just take a moment and, st- and stay in my role, do great at my role, but I wasn't looking for that next step or anything else. I was really just trying to manage <laughs> yeah. the work and, and, and my personal life. So really having an expansive view of career development, it doesn't have to be that linear path. And we created this program to address those different types of folks. I'm sure that there's more, but it was helping folks understand sort of the, you know, the, the bucket that they were in and then provide sort of development around all of those different areas. It wasn't just about that next promotion or growing in the role. Maybe it was about finding more balance in your life. So really proud of that work that, that we did with the team and then also working with, you know, the talent management team. So when we think about like, what are those regular processes where there's the opportunity to talk about your career with your managers, integrating those th- that different way of thinking about career development into those processes was was very helpful. Mm. Really, I'm really glad you brought that up about people who are burnt out or maybe who are not so ambitious right now or not trying to move up. Because I think that, you know, first of all, like everybody's different and has different desires and things they want in their career. And that's a big part of, uh, I think, of owning your career. I talk to people about figure out what's right for you and not necessarily like what other people are trying to do. But also important for managers to understand, right? I hear it all the time. Managers are saying like, well, I don't have a promotion for Stephanie, so there's no reason to have a career conversation. And it's like, no, no, no. She might actually want something completely different. She might have no desire for a promotion. It might be she just wants to take on some type of new project or maybe, you know, learn a new skill or maybe just needs to like relax for a little bit because we've coming off some crazy, <laughs> some crazy time, right? Um, but you don't know that until you have that conversation with your employee and, and ask those questions. Yeah, absolutely. There's been so many conversations that I've had with my team where it's so surprising to understand what's motivating to them. Mm-hmm. It could be as simple 
it's like including them in a meeting that gives them more visibility, right? Like they want to expand their knowledge and have sort of a broader view. And something as simple as that can be so engaging for, for folks on your team. When we talked the last time I asked you about the things that you're most proud of in your career and the work you've done, one of the things you mentioned was core curriculum foundation program. I wonder if you could talk a little bit. Is that the leadership program we talked about or is that something different? Oh, yeah. And I have probably changed my answer since we last talked. Okay. (laughs) No, I am really proud of um, one of the things that we're working, working on right now is building foundational programs around key skills. And, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, feedback typically in organizations is one of those skills that it seems like it just it doesn't go away. <laughs> like yeah. Every company is trying to build their, their muscle around giving and receiving feedback. So mm-hmm. one of the things that my, my team created um, is both in e-learning, we created live practice sessions, and then we created some more development or, that we could sort of, we call it like a training in a box that we you know can share with our HR business partners for them to run with the, the managers that, that they support. So really thinking about this flexible model. So company-wide with, with, the, with the e-learning and the workbook, the opportunity for people to practice where they drop in and then more supplementary, um, like really training that can be tailored for our HR business partners for them to deliver, you know, and, and managers meeting. So really proud of that. And the other thing I'm very proud of, like I'd mentioned in the past, was a part of a very sort of public uh, acquisition. And during that time, so it was a past life, but during that time, motivation was really hard to sustain on the team, mm. right? Like there's when there's an impending acquisition, thinking about all the programs that we ran, we ran leadership development, you know, those programs for women and underrepresented talent, you know, we put a lot of those things on pause and did a total pivot. We pivoted to focus on supporting managers during times of change. And that was really motivating to the team. I think that's sort of one of the things that I'm most proud of is both supporting my own team and then making that quick pivot to think about like, what does an organization need right now? Regardless, we love our programs. Like we're so proud of them, but is that actually going to be the most impactful for the moment in time? So that's certainly something that, that I'm proud of too. And just grateful for the opportunity to, you know, to, to learn through that moment. <clears throat> yeah. It's fantastic. What, we did a wrap up here. What are you, what are you working on now? Or are you most excited about that? Maybe we can check in with you on a few months down the road. Oh, you know, I'm building manager and leadership development. <laughs> 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 yeah. So this year going to focus on some foundational programs, new manager onboarding, focus on the manager essentials and then leadership essentials for um, more senior level folks when it comes to like strategy and systems thinking. So it's going to be a lot of the work for 2024 that I'm excited to, to roll out. Well, I am excited to see what comes of that as well. We'll have to keep in touch as well as I'm working on a new book and program on leadership. And so we have to get some of your input and, and see what you think are some of those foundation elements. And, you know, coaching and feedback has to be part of that, right? It's just such a core essential part of being a manager, but also just leading with curiosity and like having conversations, right? If people would just have more conversations, we could make such an impact. And speaking of that, this has been a great conversation, Stephanie. Thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing a little bit of your experience and your wisdom around talent development and some of the work you've done. Really appreciate it. Always look forward to talking with you and I look forward to talking a little bit more soon in our bonus Q&A round. But for now, we'll say goodbye. Thank you again for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Andy.